we're going to talk about spiritual warfare again. And he attacks spiritual warfare at a level that you're probably not thinking of. I mean, when you think of this, you're thinking that ain't spiritual warfare, but it goes right in line with what he's saying. So contender, earnestly contend for the faith. It is somebody that just stands and accepts the challenge. I'm not going to give up on what I believe. I'm not walking away from the truth. I'm not going to water it down. They had people coming into the church that was doing that. And we have this book right before the book of Revelation. He's just saying, you better keep your guard up. Because there's people that would love to water down God's word, water down truth, water down the gospel, and it doesn't work that way. <clears throat> it's truth, which means that uh, there's no parts of it that can be attacked because God, God has preserved the whole word of God for us. So um, we have this struggle, and so we, have, we looked at this mystery about Satan wanting the body of Moses and what he had planned for it. We're not really sure. Uh, but we do know that that passage was given to us to kind of identify that there's a war that's raging. It's happening all around us, whether you can see it or not. So he kind of like pulls back the curtain like I was giving that illustration, like let me give you a glimpse behind the scenes. Here's the physical part of it. We saw when Moses died. Here's a spiritual part of it that you don't see. But every day there's a physical and a spiritual war that happens. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and, and rulers of darkness of this world. And there's Satan works, and he's so subtle of how he does this. And so uh, Jude is describing these problems of these certain people that come in. Now, spiritual warfare is not always what we thought. So I, I put a picture in there. I don't often do that, but I just wanted to get your mind. Did you guys see the picture? I think it's on the front page. All right, when you see that, that's like, that's what our minds go to when we think of spiritual warfare. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing if you were to talk about demonic activity, you think of like pentagrams and candles and lit in, you know, like blood and, you know, just all these things. That's, that's what we think about. But I, I want you to see uh, that Satan is much more subtle than that, okay? The, the world might look at it this way and, you know, in some aspects behind the scenes, I don't know what it looks like. I've never seen that. Uh, but let me take you back to the first spiritual. What would you guys say is the first visual of spiritual warfare in the Bible? Garden of Eden. With who? With even the snake. You, you think about that. You know, so this snake, I don't know how creepy it was, whether it comes slithering up in the garden. Eve jumps back with the sword. She says, not today, Satan, get behind me. You know, like we see in this picture. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, that's not exactly, it's not even at all how it went. You know, uh, the, the Bible says that Satan was subtle. She was, she was not, he was not debating. There was nothing like that going on. Uh, she had no clue. Uh, it did not look scary. Uh, think about this. Eve was making a decision that would bring the curse of death upon all mankind, seal the fate of eternal damnation and eternal flames of hell. And what was going through her mind? Ooh, an apple. <laughs> or whatever it was. I, we don't know it was. Does everybody know that we don't know it was an apple? Okay, just going to lay that out there. Just like, <laughs> it was, so it was, it was something. It was a fruit. So that, that was what was going through her mind. So then, okay, so we've laid all that. We've, we've addressed verses 1 through 15. Now, now look at what he says in verse 16. You ready for this? These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. Now, I'll just stop right there. Is that not just the craziest thing? 
When you think about spiritual warfare and Satan's fighting over the body of Moses and these that crept into the church, da, 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 and then it's like, give me more. Tell me more about it. And then it's like, they were complainers. And you're like, what? <laughs> you're, you're thinking, I know a lot of spiritual warfare happening you know, in this world today. <laughs> That's what, I'm not making this up. I'm telling you, verse by verse, these are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lust, wanting what they want. And their mouths speak great swelling words, having men's person and admiration because of advantage. So remember where they're at. Now, remember, where are these complainers at? In the church. In the church. It even says in Jude 1.4, for there's certain that crept in unaware into the church. And it starts talking about murmurs and grumblers and complainers. And you, you, you want to quench the Spirit of God, just, just get around complainers. I promise you, you want to quench worship, get around complainers. You want to, you want to get, and this is what he was talking about. They were quenching the Spirit of God, a bunch of people murmuring, and these people that go in that were stirring this up. And he's so subtly, you know, remember all the things that he was talking about, of how they approached it in the beginning of it. A grumbler. And does anybody know the difference between a complainer and a grumbler? I actually did this study because I would do it with the teens, Okay. And, and the, the Greek and Hebrew, both of them give this indication, uh, and the, the definition goes in like one that talks as if they have rocks in their mouth. Okay, so it's, it's kind of like this. It's those that walk around like... They don't actually say anything. You know what I'm saying? When you tell your kids, go do your homework, I told you, and they don't say, Mom, I'm not going to do that. But it's like... It's just, it's just mumbling. Talking like you have rocks in your mouth. That's what it is. And sometimes you can bring down the spirit of, of Christians or spirit of a life group or spirit of an outreach or whatever, but not, and you go up to the person and say, hey, man, we need to work on your attitude. And they're like, I never said a word. That is true. <laughs> you didn't say a word. It's just your whole persona is just like it's just negative and grumbling the whole time. This was happening in the church. Uh, Satan loves to work through negative attitudes. He just loves to work through negative attitudes. I remember having somebody that got onto me back when I was youth pastor, not youth pastor at the time, and was upset at me in the church because we had vacation Bible school. And they said, those kids you allow now in the sanctuary, and they end up touching things, and they ended up, they, they get stains on the carpet and all these other things. And they literally was complaining about saying, I can't stand coming in here seeing all these kids. I, I promise you, I was with somebody else and they almost had to hold me back. Just like, and you just think that, it, no, just, no, here's the thing. Everybody, I'm proving a point right now. Everybody right now is like, <gasps> you know, like, first of all, they, they didn't stay in our church. And secondly, um, just the way that it makes you feel, me saying that is the point. Do you know what it does to the spirit of what you're trying to accomplish? Even if you're going in to preach it now, now all I'm thinking about is, why'd they say that? And that's so bad. And man, there was kids that were saved in there. And I love kids. And you know, it's just, but it just splinters. Oh, yes, he did. Suffer the children to come in. It's better that you tie a millstone around your neck and be cast into the sea as the hinder a kid coming to Jesus. Thank you. And just, it's just something. But I'll tell you, Satan will work through anything. Can I say something else too, that that person came back and made it right? Just, I just want to throw that out there and stuff like that. They, they did, and they said that they were going through stuff. But at the time, it just, it just brings down the spirit of 
of God because it causes division in things that you do. We grumble about it. It's, and, and let me tell you about that, the grumbling of what they were doing. It spreads. It hurts. It takes the attention off worship. People will, will talk and, and, and say things. I, I could give you guys other illustrations. I'd rather not. Uh, I, I have a few <laughs> of just things that if I, I had right outside this door, right there in the hallway. One time I had somebody out there saying something, saying something that they were assuming that, anyways, they were putting words in my mouth. Little did they know that I was on the other side of the wall, stepping back because I had not yet walked in the sanctuary. And I walked out and just shut it down. <laughs> I shut it down. White as a ghost. Like, I didn't know you were there. I said, I know. And I was like, but, but it's amazing how that stuff will just suck the life out of the church. It will suck the life out of the mission that we're trying to do. So, so why do you say that is spiritual warfare? Can I explain to you why it's spiritual? Because for a lot of it is like, okay, that's kind of an exaggeration. Anything that goes opposite of God, okay, there's, there, there's, there's two sides of this. You guys understand that there's a war going on. So anything that pulls away from the things of God is spiritual warfare. Pulling people away from worship, pulling people away from respect, pulling people away from unity. Philippians 2.1, okay? Now, if there be any... Therefore, any consolation, that's Christians coming together in Christ. For any comfort of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any bowels of affection that he's talking about there, mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being a one accordant of one mind. Do you think it's emphasizing something there? Unity. Unity. And, and that doesn't mean kumbaya, we set aside doctrine. Guys, we know that this whole passage is talking about we fight for doctrine. It's not a long, like, it doesn't matter that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We're not talking about that. But it is important that we, we for, uh, fulfill ye my joy. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Let nothing, listen to this, let nothing then be done through strife and vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let us esteem others better than ourselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took on the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. God works in you, but God can't be doing that if we're doing it in our flesh, or doing it, and, and I'll explain, he goes into the flesh part here in a minute. But if you're doing it through grumbling, that God is not being glorified. There's no unity that happens to this. So it talks about unity, joy, and humility in those passages, okay? You have in the mind of Christ, but look at what it says next. And next, verse 14. Do all things without what? Murmuring and disputings. <laughs> he just lays it out there. He just said, do not, do not, whatever you do. So you can see this is, he said, I, I want unity and joy in this. But what crept in was those complaining and causing the issues, that ye be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Cannot shine if you're not doing these things. In the midst of a world that is so dark, there needs to be something different. So yes, murmuring, disputing those things, is, it's, it's the work of Satan. So let me read it again, because there's uh, these that murmurs and complainers walking after their own lust. Complainers literally define fault with one's own lot or being upset with where God's placed you in life. That's just, it can just be upset with just like the job that you have. 
the position that you have with your family, whatever, it's just like, I'm just, I'm just unhappy about everything. Because you got to think, wherever God has you, He has you there for a reason. Now, let's just be honest. There are some times that we're in a bad situation because we put ourselves in a bad situation. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we have free, freedom of choice. We make choices in life. You know, it's like, I'm, I've been out of a job for, for weeks or whatever. It's just like, well, did you get fired because you couldn't show up? You know, there's consequences, things that happen. But I'm saying, if God puts you in a situation, you've got to know that God has a reason for that. He does. Life, life is hard, but the, the question is, what are you going to focus on? The fact that God's going to get you through this, or woe is me. But that's what the complaining is talking about. It's just, just the, the, bringing the attention on yourself. Then it says selfish, walking after their own lust. Um, th- that is literally just, it's a me society. It's, it's me thinking. It's what I want or what I think or my preference and things like that. And we all have preferences. We all have what we'd like it to be. But it can't be like that. Jesus even prayed, not my will but thine be done. Think about that passage in Philippians. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, to, who took on the form of a servant. Rather than making it about me, Jesus took off his outer coat, get on his knees and start washing feet. Your attitude towards complaining, your attitude towards everything will change when you just start serving people. When you get into the, the, just the, the nuts and bolts, when you get into the, the work of it, the labor of it, it just changes you. So uh, verse 16, these are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words. <clears throat> The word swelling words is bulging over. It means great swelling. It, it, um, it, it comes with the idea of embellishing, to, to swell the up, to, to exaggerate. And, and that's what happens anytime we exaggerate something like that. You guys know what an exaggeration is, in all honesty? It's a lie. An exaggeration is a lie because you've, you've taken something that was truth and you made it something that it was not. You've embellished it. And so he was talking about they come in and they embellish things. They, they, they build things up more than what they are. And, and that happens in the world and the news all the time. You know what I'm saying? Some little thing can happen, but they need a headliner. And so they're going to embellish something like that. But these men knew how to get people on their side and pull them away by embellishing situations. Having uh, men's persons to admiration because of the advantage. He said that they caught their attention through this taking advantage of them. They, they, were, they caught their attention because of the fact is that they were embellishing things and people were like, oh, I'm so glad you told me that, or I didn't know that. Well, it was a lie. This is spiritual warfare. Verse 17, Beloved, so remember ye the words which ye were spoken before the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Uh, the, the word mock means to, uh, to, to tear down or to make a, make a joke out of these things. Um, I, I spoke on this. It's kind of ironic that I, I didn't mean for it to even fall in this way. But I, the Sunday before last, I spoke about the coming of Jesus Christ or the rapture, not the, not the second coming of Christ, but the rapture. He was talking about how the world would mock that, and that's one of the things, make jokes out of it. And there's lots of movies and TVs. There's actually a, a, a comedy movie that was called, I can't remember what it was called, it was The Rapture Something. I've actually had people say to me, do we really need that? There's other stuff that we really need more. 
And, and that's the same thing. It's just it's the idea of it becoming irrelevant, you know, watering it down. It's just like it's, it's the blessed hope. It's what gives us the encouragement to face day to day and problem the problem. But I wonder this, why this passage was um, combining it with the other. Because now look at that you've got the outward and the inward. Did you guys notice that? You've got the complainers on the inside, but then the mockers. But like Bob was saying too, that it comes from both sides of the inward. But it's the idea that once you start watering down and complaining, you get people not listening to the truth of God's word, all of a sudden you're distracted from everything that is right. If, if a church is complaining and people are upset about everything, I promise you, there's no worship going on when we're singing, and there's no mission going out when we're leaving. All we're doing is worried about what I don't like, and, and, and honestly, that's where church splits come from. It's things like that. We begin to look inward with those things. What I want, how I feel, I don't like this, whatever, and that was going on. He was talking about that's already in the world, and people are mocking and getting the distraction of what God's called us to do, <clears throat> how that you were told told you that there should be mockers in the last day who should walk after their own godly lust. The thing that they had in common is both of them were doing what they wanted to do. It was, it was, it was the lust of the flesh. It was how I feel or, or my opinion of this. It's selfish. It's selfish. That, that is a terrible thing to do. I think that the last illustration that Jesus Christ gave us before he went to the cross, like I said a minute ago, was washing feet. Now, I know that a lot of you guys know this, but he was... He was worried about the disciples being like, you know, built up about themselves or who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit at your right hand. You know, and we, we almost, that's ridiculous, but don't we all struggle with that a little bit? You know, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been in this church and a lot of people have been here a long time. We should still be the first ones to give up our seat for somebody that just walked in for the first time. That, that should be our mindset. You know, mission-minded, it's, it's, it's uh, of being selfless with that because once you are full of self, man, you get your eyes off of everybody around. And, and by the way, <clears throat> when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and <clears throat> I know a lot of you know this already, and he took off his honor garment, he took the lowest position of any of the servants that would be in the room. There was different servants that would do different things. And, and, and none of them, they, they didn't have anybody washing their feet. And there would be normally somebody in the room washing feet. You notice that Jesus had to do it once they sat down because nobody was at the door doing that. And then a lot of people speculate that when Jesus said to prepare the upper room, part of that was like, I don't want anybody washing feet. It was a setup. And all of them went in and all of them sat down with dirty feet. Because nobody in the room or in the circle had the mindset that I, everybody was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not the lowest servant in here. But can you imagine the tears that were going down their face when the king of kings walked over and he took off his outer garment and he began to do it? That right there will bring revival to a church. That right there will bring revival to your life. It's the complete opposite of what's going on. Now listen to this. This makes sense. Listen to verse 19. These be they who separate themselves central, having not the spirit. Now, the central in this, sometimes when we think of central, we think of the word like sexual, whatever. It's not talking about that. It's talking about natural of whatever, just self-pleasing of that. Uh, it's amazing in, in, the, in the definition or the explanation of this that separate themselves central, not having the spirit. It's like they're not attracted to anything spiritual. 
And, and, and that's, there, there is a distinction. When you're walking in the Spirit of God, you're going to be drawn to spiritual things. You're going, you're going to have spiritual conversations. You know, you know a, a sign of revival in a church is not how loud the people sing or even how much people give or how many people, you know, all these kind of tell signs that we do. Get people that start walking around and their conversations start saying, can I tell you how God's working in my life? Think about that. When it's just filling up in your heart and they, they, they don't walk in the Spirit is what they say, having not the Spirit. When you have the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is alive and active and convicting and working and stirring your heart and all those things, you'll get around people and you'll be like, man, I just have to tell you, God has just done so much for me and it's just going to pour out. But he was saying that these people are gravitating to the central, so kind of like this. It's <laughs> Sunday's going to be a big day at fellowship. Does anybody tell me why? Well, we are doing that, yes. Because <laughs> um, we're going to have food. I'm just being real. It's amazing for things that happen on how our flesh, the central, or the fleshly will gravitate towards things that please the flesh. And that's what he's talking about. If you were to, and guys, don't get me wrong, not you're thinking, well, I'm not going to come at nine because he's going to think, no, I'm not thinking that. <laughs> I'm going to be here too. I'll have biscuits and gravy, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. So there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the only thing that draws you to anything, then, then, then the motive, there's something missing there. And, th- and that's what he's talking about. If, if, if you have, a dad that's a leader, and he won't show up for a prayer meeting, but he'll show up for the church golf outing. There's something wrong in the heart there. He's like, they who separate themselves as central, having not the Spirit of God. Something's wrong there. And I, I think that there is a, a, a you, you get people that are not walking with God, and then it comes with the, the complaining, even if they're good people. But ye beloved, building up yourselves. This is, this is when we talked about there's different themes of the, about the fighting for what's right, but then we're talking about finishing strong. If I was to say, before we get to the book of Revelation, before we get to the change and things like that, man, this is what he's talking about. Just finish strong. Finish strong. Notice the first words in this passage, but ye. Do you notice the transition here? Talking about there's murmurs and complainers and those that will mock and do all those, and then it's almost like he stops and Jude's like, but no, guys, will you listen to me? But you that are the brethren, I think he says the beloved, he, he puts it there, the, the family, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, let's break this down. Building up yourself in the faith, literally to, to build upon things, to rear up. Uh, it's the same way as like building muscle. It's, you, you exercise the things of God, and, and you guys say, give me a good illustration of it. You're literally doing it right now. You guys chose a Wednesday night that it's snowing. Was it snowing when you guys came in? Or, or flurries or whatever it is or whatever. It, it would have been easy to be like, it's cold, I'm staying home or whatever. Uh, but the idea is, no, I want to build myself up. I want to I know the Bible. I want to know what it says. I want to pray with other Christians. I just want, I want to build myself up. Things are going to get worse before they get better, guys. And I, I, I don't know if we're ready for that. I said, um, I, I saw a meme this, way, this week. And, uh, I, I should have showed it to you because I thought it was so funny. Um, you know how they have the one picture and then the repeat from somebody else, and it was like, uh, ain't no grave going to hold me down. 
It was the one side, and he says, what are you talking about? Your sheets hold you down on Sunday morning. <laughs> Which is so true. <laughs> it's like, ain't no grave going to hold me down. Your, your sheets do when your alarm goes off on Sunday morning. <laughs> it's like, I don't, know, I don't know how ready we are for the things that are happening. And I, and, and I know that I mentioned this the, week, the last two weeks that we were doing this. Uh, about if there was persecution. I think it was last week we were talking about the guy overseas and that's a friend of Dave's that was, they stopped his car and shot him in his car because he was a missionary. That's somebody that we physically know. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. And you guys don't either. I I can tell when perilous times and things are going to come, they're going to be tough. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know how to prepare for it. Beloved, build up yourselves in the most holy faith. It's, it's, it's literally let the, let the foundation of Jesus Christ be the foundation of everything. Even the most holy faith, the definition of that is moral conviction. It, it literally means assurance or belief or confidence. It cannot be, I think so, or my church believes this. And that's so easy. It's just... It's got to be like, no, I'm not doing that because I know that's not right. And I know what God has convinced me of. And that's what conviction is. And that's a working of the Spirit of God. The more you pray, the more you get in your Bible, the more God changes your heart. And you are fully convinced. What I want for my kids, and it's tough, is I want, I want conviction more than I do them following rules. Does anybody know the difference between that? Because the rules won't necessarily follow them when they leave my house. But conviction of I know what's right and wrong according to the word of God, that will follow them. And I just want it just to be in their heart to know what is right and wrong to where God convicts their hearts. But that's where uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to feed your heart and mind the things that are right. The, 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 the most holy faith that it calls it in this passage. Just having a knowledge of the things of God. And then it says also praying in the spirit or praying in the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost uh, is, is the Spirit of God that is our guide and talks to us. We talk about salvation being a relationship, but guys, it goes both ways. It is the Spirit of God talking to us and, God, and us talking to God. It, it is a two-way thing. It, it's God that gives us peace and God that gives us understanding and God that brings illumination of Scripture, which literally shines a light as we're reading to be able to help us understand what we're reading. The Bible even says his spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It bears witness. It communicates to one another. It's, it's our, our fears, our concerns, our heartbreaks. Have you guys ever been just overwhelmed and then you just start praying and you walk away and you think in, in humanistic thinking, that makes no sense at all. Because really you would need some sort of like pill from a psychiatrist or whatever to get you to come down or deal with that thing. But it's the idea of the Spirit of God that brings peace. It's an inner calm that He brings, and the Spirit of God does that. It's it's powerful to overcome our fears and things that we're going through. But this is all talking about growing in a relationship with God, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Now, that word keep means to hold fast, but it also means the word keep means to guard. It means to be a keeper or to watch. Keep yourself. Here's the thing. It's, I know in this passage it's talking about those that are coming in unaware that are going to pervert the scriptures and things like that. But I think we have to be guarding our hearts, even in the world around us, that are going to try to distract us from the things that are right and things that are pure, especially our kids. 
we, I was talking to people about how when we were growing up, a lot of the things that we're dealing with was something that everybody kind of had an idea that that's not right. Now it's a matter of nobody standing up saying that that's not right. It's, it's an indoctrination. It's totally different now. So it's, it's a matter of keeping yourselves in the love of God or keeping yourself in the relationship with God. And just like an, an illustration, how do you do that in a physical relationship? I mean, with, with me and Jenny, we, we plan date nights and we, we do things like that just, just to, to care, have the communication, to stay close to one another. And then he says, keep your eyes on the coming of Christ, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, keeping your focus on his return. Like Bob was saying, we should be, that, that should be on the forefront of our minds. <clears throat> Notice how it says, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the beauty of even in this illustration is we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Part of my message on this coming Sunday is on that principle out of Psalms 107. Uh, but this will have an effect on you. Here's the effect. And I think this kind of transitions now, like our calling uh, of us as believers before God comes back for us. Now, this is probably one of the number one passages that people remember or know in, in the Bible, uh, especially in the book of Jude, and some having compassion making a difference. Um, I used to use that as my theme verse uh, within the teen class back when I was youth pastor here. And if some have compassion, making a difference. Um, it's very popular. Compassion means uh, to pity on or, or to have mercy on somebody. I, I, I've often explained it as it's uh, seeing a need and doing something about it. It's compassion. Um, and some having compassion, making a difference. In the world that we live in, that people are making mistakes constantly. As I was walking in here, somebody came up to me and was telling me about a loved one that's not doing well in the hospital. And I volunteered to say, hey, I would love to go see them and talk to them and witness them. And they said, they've made so many mistakes, they, they don't even want to talk to a preacher. And, and it's, it's sad how people get built up in their mind with things like that. That, you know, I just, I don't want to, I've messed up. I can't even, I've had people say, I can't even go to church. I've messed up so much. Do you know how powerful compassion is? It, it is where Jesus, the Bible says that he was moved with compassion when he saw the people you know, that were astray and having no shepherd. And what did he do? He went after them. He went to uh, the highways and hedges. He went to the lepers. He went to the outcasts. He went to the sinners. He went to the woman at the well. He went to them. And I think that that is important for us to understand. You want to know something a powerful, well, think about the verse. And some having compassion, making a what? It's a difference. <laughs> think about the power of the difference you can make. It's just having a heart of compassion. And just that, that, that you drop your, uh, I, I, I don't know, attitude towards people and you love on them and, and um, let them see what they can see. And then it takes it to the next level. And others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. The word fear means an alarm or fright. To be afraid means to wake them up. Uh, this is the next level of compassion. I think for the world, it's a matter of going out of your way to say, hey, can... And I try to teach this to my kids all the time. Just any, You should have your radar going off all the time if you're in the world. How can I help people? I've had my kids go up and help people get into their cars. I've, you know, like an older person that was struggling, and uh, we were at the store, and this lady was trying to load the back of her truck, and 
you know, you, you pick up the things and ju- anything just to show the love of God or to step into people's lives. But this is the next thing, and it's talking about in some, say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, that, that alarm going off. Uh, let me give you an illustration like this. I'm, I'm pretty close to my sister, Christine. Um, she, she moved in with me uh, uh, years ago before she met Danny and had the three girls and, and a long time ago. A lot of you guys will remember that when she moved to Ohio. And she met a guy online who was an absolute thug. Okay, just he was, shouldn't have been dating. And um, she met this guy one time, and I found out about it, and it was actually at my house, and it made me mad. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't walk up to her and say, hey, I don't want to offend you, but uh, I got something on my I, I just walked in the room and I said, you're being dumb. You're making huge mistakes right now. I love you too much to let you do this to yourselves. And some ring the bell. Some, it's like if you see a house that's on fire, I'm not going to be worried about offending my neighbors by ringing the doorbell, okay? I will kick the door open. I will rush in. And, you know, and that's, and some say with fear, pulling them out of the fire. It's a matter of you're served up. And there's some people that you're friends with that you need to just have that conversation and, and talk to them and, and be able to share your heart, call her out. I remember she, we sat in the edge of her, her bed in my house and she just wept and hugged me. And, and she said, I know, I know, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I said, I know what you're doing. You're, you're letting Satan rob you from what God has for you. And, and then she ended up just like completely turning her life around. She met Danny and they got married. And now she's married to an amazing Christian uh, uh, man of God. And, and they're happy together. And God's blessed them in so many ways. But I think as we get in the end times, we, there's got to be some bell ringing. There's got to be some confrontation. There's got to be truth giving. Now, let's be honest. If you did that to somebody you don't know, you're probably going to get a restraining order put on you, okay? There is a difference. But, I mean, it just depends. And that's why it says, and in some having compassion making a difference. And if some, you know, the, the, the next level of this. I remember when um, Jordan was little, and I've told you guys this story. I was working in the front yard. It was the first house that we've ever had. And Jordan walked in the street. Somebody slammed on their brakes, honked the horn, rolled down the window, yelled at me and says, why don't you watch your kid? And I was like, I, I, I mean, it was just, um, you know how it is. Jenny was there. I was there. I climbed a ladder, missed it. I ran down there. I grabbed him. I held him by the arms. I looked at him and he said, look, Jordan, you could have just died right now. He said, don't ever, ever walk into that street again. Do you understand me? I was upset. I was crying. I was emotional, whatever. And, and it's just something to where... Uh, we, we need to talk that way. Does, does that make sense? Because I think when it comes to uh, believers, there should be a relationship of iron sharpening iron when it comes to that, especially people that you know that are in your circle or in your group or in your church, that if you don't have that confrontation with them, to do that. And by the way, what, does, what do you get when you have iron sharpening iron? Sparks. I mean, that's just the truth. And you're like, well, I don't want to offend them. It's time to get up in their face sometime. And I say that from the heart, you know, and it's not being judgmental. And I think we need to understand that. It's speaking of the truth and love. And, and if, if you're not going to what it said earlier about you, think about all the verses that we just read about praying in the spirit and building yourselves up, all these other things. You leave that out. You shouldn't be doing what I'm talking about right now. Because all that is called is a fight. Okay, there's a difference. You know, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. 
I have a guy that I look in the face almost every Sunday when I preach. I'm not going to give his name, but when I first met him, he basically told me to get out of his face. He did. And I lovingly like backed off, and the next time I saw him, I approached him again, and God broke down those walls and built a relationship and stuff. Having compassion, making a difference, and some say with fear, pulling them out of the fire. So I, I think it is. And so, but it's, the main thing is that you have the heart of Jesus to like just go after people and to make a difference. That's the, you know, when the Bible talks about constantly about being the light, you know what I'm saying? You just illuminate. Walking in darkness, and it's not, oh man, this, this ties in so much. Do, do you know what is the opposite is? It's just the opposite of living every day, even at work, of not being a murmurer and complainer. That alone, right there, will make you shine in the darkness. It's like, man, this, we, we have to stay late, and this second truck came in, or that customer was this, or whatever. Like, you're just different. They'll notice that difference. And by the way, it's easier to be able to give people the gospel when they know you're genuine, like she was saying. It just, it just comes out of your life like that. And um, the last part, it says, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Um, I had a hard time figuring out what that meant. A lot of people say it had something to do with the illustration of like um, um, those that had leprosy, uh, of, of wanting to deal with them, but being cautious of, of it not rubbing off on you. Um, and, and I just, this illustration, maybe I don't, I've never dealt with anybody with leprosy in that, but I have had my kids when they were much little, younger, um, wake up in the middle of the night. Have you ever heard that? Like, mommy, and then you like wake up and think that doesn't sound good. And then you hear this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're thinking, yeah, I'm not going back to bed anytime soon. <laughs> And they can't go to like a tile floor or whatever. They're going to do it on the bed, the, the, the comforter. It's going to go back down the back wall, you know, just like everything and stuff like that. But, I mean, you think about it. When you get to that kid, you're like, you love them to death, but you're like taking their clothes off like, you know, just like. And, and I think of that like our perspective of sin, but how much we love that person that's in it. And that's the only way that I could illustrate it, because all the illustrations that I had from that. And, and, um, but anyways, let's finish up. Two verses. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Who is the him? It's God. It's not you. I, I think it's important to say you build yourself up or whatever. That's, that's a relationship with God. But it's not like you get up there and like, you know, go head to head with Satan. Man, I, I'm not going head to head with Satan. I'm doing it backed by the power of God every single day and present you from faultless or, and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Even in that, um, it's talking about the victorious life. It's not talking about living a life of perfection. Praise God, because if it was, we'd all be failures. We'd all be failures. But it is a matter of God's always making a way for us to overcome, be forgiven, rise above. We don't have to live down and out. We don't have to live oppressed by anything that Satan has. Uh, God gives us the victory over these things, and then what comes as a result of that is exceeding joy. There, there's true happiness that comes, even though you know that you're, you're not perfect or you don't live in a perfect world, but God gives an inner joy of an inner victory, and, and it's powerful. And it closes with this, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. He points to 
literally just giving glory to God. I'm saying the authority that I have in my life, it's to the only wise God, our Savior. Everything that he was saying, he was just pointing to the authority of God. It's, it's not saying don't be a grumbler because it's bad. No, don't be a grumbler because it quenches the Spirit of God who created you for something different. Be glory and majesty. And I, I gave these, some of these definitions to you guys, how often I put them in my notes and stuff. He said, our Savior, who's our rescuer, glory, which literally means he's worthy of praise and worship and honor. Majesty, all the power and authority and, and, and the glory goes to him. Is the uh, Dominion literally means just ruler. And the power that he's talking about is that the fact that he's greater than all, both now and forever. I think of that as a great illustration of what we're going to do on Sunday. Sunday, we're just going to give thanks. And that, that is the action of just and I'll put it like this. I put this in my notes for Sunday, so, but you still have to listen to it both times, so you have to. Um, you know, when you give thanks to somebody, you, take the, you make the effort of pulling out like a thank you note to sit down and write out what they did. You know what I'm saying? You give thanks. Thank you for whatever. And I think God, when, we're, when the Bible talks about giving thanks to God, it's just us making an effort to acknowledge and say thank you to what God has done. It's not just being thankful. You know what I'm saying? And I am thankful. You can be thankful for things, but the Bible says to give thanks. It's an action. 